Sean Persinger here, a.k.a. Prester John. I'm the author of the 50 Greatest Guitar Books. You can go to greatestguitarbooks.com to learn more information or Prester John Music. And you are listening to the Guitar Radio Show. Episode 43, Guitar Radio Show. Uh, you know, it's November. It's getting colder, uh, even here in Texas. And um, it's time to start woodshedding, right? Got to practice. It's cold. Too cold to go outside. So you got to practice. So I think I got the book for you. That's right. You ready? Let's do it. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 43 of Guitar Radio Show. You know. (laughs) The show dedicated to all things guitar, dedicated to the guitar player, guitar builder, gear maker, and the people who sell them things, those people that you may not know about, all those folks that you may not know about, but uh, if you hang around here long enough, you will. <clears throat> I'm your host, Mark Davin, and uh, it's a chilly day here today in Austin, Texas, uh, but the sun is shining, it's beautiful, and I've got a nice warm cup of chai tea and a bowl of oatmeal. That's right. Hey, check us out, guitarradioshow.com. Lots of new things happening over there. Uh, There'll be some additions to the Zazzle store soon. Much better than the crap we have on there now. (laughs) Uh, Email us at guitarradioshow at gmail.com for all your burning needs. And if it really is burning, you need to see a doctor. Um, Hey, Facebook page. Go there, like that. That'd be cool. Lots of really cool guitar porn on there. As well as GuitarRadioShow.com gets added more and more every day. From all the shows that we go to, I was going through an iPad the other day and I was like, oh my God, I forgot all about these pictures. It's crazy. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Vine. We'll follow you back. And uh, you can hear the show on GuitarRadioShow.com. Of course, iTunes. Hello, iTunes. Thank you for all the love. Stitcher Radio, you too. You guys rock. Podbay and Podomatic, as well as Player FM. And uh, when you do, please rate and review the show, especially over there on the iTunes and Stitcher area. If you could do that, that would be super helpful. Write something weird like, Broccoli is fun in the review. What the hell? Keep them guessing over at iTunes. <laughs> if you do that, it could definitely help us turn uh, turn more people on to what we're doing. Helps with the rankings and all that jazz. So that would be super cool. Today we have um, a really great guitar player who's an author, uh, Sean Persinger. And he has written the 50 Greatest Guitar Books. Essentially what it is, it's a compilation of the 50 greatest books that he has ever encountered and he puts them together in a manner that is very easy for you to learn. It's really cool because it's a it's a very uh, selfless thing in a manner of speaking. The what, what he's done, uh, the fact that he is taking this all these great books that that has enriched his life <clears throat> and trying to enrich ours. And uh, I I got a couple of cool ditties off of there. I really did. I spent a lot of time with that book. I liked it a lot. And um, it's also kind of nice to get back to a book 
once in a while too. Old school. So we've got an interview with him, and we've got some sound clips to for you to hear some of the stuff that is from that book, and uh, lots of information about him. We've got also a lot of music today. We've got music from uh, Nick Johnston. We've got music from Lightbulb Vaporizer. Let's see, who else do we have music from? Let's see here, who else? Oh my God, we've got music from a band called Marbin. They're from Chicago. They're a jazz fusion band. And I just recently did an interview with uh, Danny Rabin from Marbin. And um, you're going to be really impressed by this. Really killer stuff. Uh, And we've also got this guy uh, who I just got some kind of of distressing news about. Um, uh, We've got an interview coming up with two... uh, too Slim and the Tail Draggers. It's Tim Langford's band. And uh, he's a great telly player, really great blues and rock player. And he's been at it a long time. He is a uh, a real, I mean, you want to talk about a road dog. He's a road dog, just like the cats in Marvin. I mean, real road dogs. And uh, Too Slim and his Tail Draggers have been around for a long time, years, and uh, lots of records out. You can check them out. Um, but I just got word that um, he has to come off the road, which he's always touring. And he has to come off the road because he has to go in for surgery for cancer. And uh, I'm really I'm really bummed out by this. I mean, I'm sure he is, and, and so I know all of his fans are. And uh, uh, we've just found out that if you, you can go to giveforward.inc. Uh, and uh, and search out Too Slim, uh, Tim Too Slim Lankford's Cancer Fund, and uh, they're trying to raise some money. And I'd really like to help out here. And if you're interested in doing so, um, that would be really great, you know. And th- this is what they wrote: Tim Too Slim Lankford is a touring musician, a band leader of the band Too Slim and the Tail Draggers. Tim has toured several countries, the U.S. and Canada. He has toured his entire life. Tim was recently diagnosed with cancer and will be having surgery on December 4th, which is right around the corner, folks, to remove uh, the cancer and the lymph nodes. He's in Nashville, Tennessee. Tim normally tours year-round. That's how he makes his money. That's how he lives. Uh, but he will be having to take off time to recoup from his surgery as well as determine if there will be any further medical needs. Tim is a touring musician, has band members who count on him as well, <clears throat> Excuse me, and he feels the need to take care of them during this time too. He counts on his touring income to survive on and, and will have to cancel some of his touring dates, probably many of them. Tim uh, will have medical expenses and band expenses to continue whether or not he's touring. Tim is very humble and he's a very difficult time. He has a very difficult time asking for help. Yet he's always the first to play a benefit for somebody else who's in need. Uh, Help the homeless, raise money for dog rescues, you name it, he is there. Now it's time that he needs help. So he won't ask, but someone else uh, set up this page to ask for him. So uh, folks, you know, check it out, give forward. Um, And they're looking to raise $20,000 They've got 6,759 as of right now. And um, he's a great musician. 
really great guy. A lot of history to him as far as this music business is concerned. And um, I'm going to play him right now for you. I'm going to play a track called Wishing Well. All right? So if you want to help out and uh, help out a fellow musician, that's where to go. And uh, Tim doesn't even know that I'm even mentioning this, but I think it's important. All right? So here's Wishing Well from Too Slim and the Tail Draggers. Guitar Radio Show. GuitarRadioShow.com Tent comes down, desperation waits in another town. A carnival of deception and lies, the devil hides in a preacher disguise. i 
Wishing you all the best. Uh, hope you get well soon. Get back out on the road, you road dog. Bring us more of that right there. Uh, we're going to play something else right now. Let's see. Um, let's hear some Nick Johnston. What do you say? We're going to take a complete right turn. Here's some Nick Johnston. Uh, this is from the album Atomic Mind on Guitar Radio Show. GuitarRadioShow.com
Nick Johnston from the album Atomic Mind, and that song is called Ultra Force. We've got an interview with him coming up real soon. Um, this is a guy that, you know, Joe Satriani and uh, Guthrie Govan uh, tip their hats to. Hey, you know, you're doing something special. Um, Guthrie Govan's uh, band, the rhythm section from uh, the Aristocrats, Kratz, uh, play or the backup band for this album. Uh, really good, really good. So we're going to get into our interview now with Sean Persinger from the 50 Greatest Guitar Books. Check it out. to have Mr. Sean Persinger, author of 50, the 50, greatest, greatest guitar books. Uh, how are you, Sean? I'm fabulous. Welcome fabulous. to Guitar Radio Show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I just finished reading the book and actually spent a lot of time with it, and I have my favorite parts of the book that I'll probably talk about a lot more as we, as we go, but... Um, Let's find out a little bit about you first. I mean, you know, I, folks, you can you can go to um, greatestguitarbooks.com to learn more about the book. And you can go to almost any bookseller on the planet and pretty much find the book. Uh, Amazon.com, um, you know, anywhere. Um, so where, where, you know, you're a really good player. I mean, I saw you on YouTube and you're a great player and you can play any different style I can think of. When did it all start for you? When did you pick up the instrument? Oh, I started when I was about 13 or 14 years old. I just wanted to be Angus Young from ACDC. That's all <laughs> I wanted to do. To a certain degree, that's still all I want to do. <laughs> Though, ironically, I've kind of done everything but that in my career. That's interesting. But yeah, I started as a huge uh, ACDC fan, the Back in Black record, and then I've always been interested in every style of music you can imagine. I mean, I was a huge Leo Kotke fan when I was a teenager, mm -hmm. got into King Crimson and a lot of progressive rock in my later years. But basically, if if they were good, if they were supposed to be good player, I wanted to find out more about them. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you sort of take the same approach that we do here at Guitar Radio Show, which is uh, music is a buffet table. Exactly. And I just keep going back for seconds and thirds and fourths. And I, obviously, I go back to the one thing I want more than others. But sir, if, if somebody sends me an email and says, this guitar player is interesting, I go and watch it. I, 
I I don't care what style of music it is. Yeah, I I agree with you entirely. I I think it's, you know, we're, we're it's a community. The guitar community is is uh, is just that. It's it's a place where you can appreciate every style, every genre. Absolutely. One of the one of the pitfalls of that though is is you can you can become a jack of all trades and it can be kind of hard to master one style. Yeah. And when you really do look at the great players uh, that we all admire um, in every genre, you find that they do kind of stick to one thing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I and I certainly know that people have a range of their ability, um, but you know, you don't hear Ingve Malmsteen playing a lot of bebop jazz no i bet he could he probably could if he wanted to but that's not what he does and that's why his forte is the neoclassical metal thing and there's part of me that wishes i had been able to stick with one style um but that's not where my interest really lies my interest is is to be uh, as eclectic as possible and it sort of has seemed to come together with the 50 greatest guitar books that i've managed to get a lot of of great positive feedback of with all modesty, people saying, boy, that guy can play anything. Uh, so that's been very gratifying. Yeah, and, and you know, it really is, I mean, it's a great book for beginners, for intermediate level players and advanced players. Um, you know, I mean, it has more than 100 lessons. It has all sorts of practice tips. And I, I particularly like the insightful commentary on on everything. You know, you, you have that, um, the whole section of the what, how, and why uh, for a particular lesson, what made you uh, decide to work with that type of thing? Well, it basically came down to three basic things that happened. Was people kept students kept asking me, "What's a guitar book you recommend? Can you recommend I get a guitar book?" And I found so many of the the so called method books less than gratifying, even though I owned hundreds of books. And then I started to think, okay, well, what were the books that really were touchstones for me, things that were important as I as I became a better and better player? And what are things that I do go back and look look at? So the first book that I would just recommend to everybody is the, um, the Beatles' Complete Chord Songbook, oh, yeah. which oh, yeah. is really nothing more than the Beatles' lyrics with the chords written out. And mm-hmm. that's it. Basically the type of... of uh, a chart that you'd get off of Ultimate Guitar anywhere online... And uh, you know, a lot of listeners might be saying, "Well, why would I buy this book if I can just get them online?" It's like, well, they're one that's correct. The book is ninety-eight percent correct, and two, it only costs like fifteen dollars on Amazon. So why not spend fifteen dollars rather than print out one hundred ninety-four songs off of the website? <laughs> you know, uh, and, and trust me, I use Ultimate Guitar and all those websites myself too. But this book is just a dynamite book of those Beatles tunes. And I, that, that book kept coming up over and over again. So I wrote a little blog post about it. And then another book that kept coming up was a book called Super Chops by Howard Roberts, which is kind of the complete opposite end of the spectrum of the Beatles book. It's a very um, – it's kind of a tedious book to work through because it's got a platform of you play a, a lot of notes over complicated chord changes in the jazz uh, idiom. And – it's really hard to get to this book because it's kind of like a, a personal trainer program where you have to go to the gym for an hour a day, every single day for six months. And, um, but it, it really pays off. So between those two books, I thought, wow, there's, there's these other books that are really great in the middle. And, and, 
if you go to Amazon, reviews are very weird in, in regard to what some people think are good and other people uh, don't think are so great. And I wanted to find something where I could, as a, as a guitar student myself and a guitar teacher and a performer, say, okay, for what it's worth, I have a background in this. Can I share that knowledge with a, an audience? And that way they're not second guessing who's reviewing this book or that book. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was really just me trying to uh, uh, cut to the chase, as it were, on what are the best books for the for any player. Sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's and it's funny, too, because once again, we go back to the whole buffet table thing. The, the book covers, I mean, just. Skim the surface, funk, metal, shred, blues, jazz, Texas swing, flamenco, and on and on and on. And um, so that must have how long did it take you to decide, okay, here are the 50 greatest, here are the ones that were, like you said, were touchstones for you. How long did it take you to decide, okay, I'm going to put this together this way? Well, once I got the idea for the book, I, I pitched it to a couple of the guitar magazines because I've written for Guitar Player Magazine in the past, and I write pretty regularly now for Premier Guitar. I do a lot of online lessons for them. Mm -hmm. And I pitched it to the people that I was comfortable with, and everybody said the same thing. They said, that eh, sounds more like a blog. And I said, it's not a blog. I know it's better than a blog. And they said, well, we don't want to put it in the magazine, um, so go ahead and do it yourself. So I just took it and ran with it. And I probably had... In the end of the 50 greatest that I chose, I'd say at least 60% I knew definitively that book is going to go in my book. Um, and then once I started working on the book, I literally spent about $3,000 on Amazon.com buying almost every guitar book I could to figure out, okay, is this one good? How does this measure up to that? So for instance, in the end, uh, I, I wrote about this in the book specifically – is Ted Green's Chord Chemistry. Well, that's a book that people are like, of course, Chord Chemistry should be in the book. But I personally think that um, his book, what is it called? It's called Modern Chord Progressions, Jazz and Classical Voicings for Guitar by Ted Green, is actually a better book than Chord Chemistry. Chord Chemistry is super important, but his other book was better. So that happened a couple times where I found an author. Also, um, uh, uh, Troy Statina. Mm -hmm. um, God, he's got so many fabulous books. In fact, I don't know that he has a bad guitar book. His books on metal and hard rock are just dynamite. So I went with an actually a simpler book of his um, because – I'm sorry. It's Tony Statina. Tony Statina, not mm -hmm. Troy. He, he did a book with, um, with another gentleman whose name is Troy. So uh, Tony's books on heavy metal are just fabulous. And I went with his metal lead guitar primer because it's a really great book for beginners who want to get into heavy metal or hard rock. Mm -hmm. So little things like that. So overall, I'd say right up near till the end of publication. So about eight months I spent fine tuning my choices. I went to YouTube and watched some of the videos as well. After looking at the at the at the notation, looking at the tab, and then I said, okay, let me see if he's got this on on YouTube too. And then there you were, and I was like, and you make it. It actually is a lot simpler than it seems. When you first hear it, you go, oh, I don't know, I don't know. But you sit there and you play it, and it's actually, oh, yeah. And it's so simple. There's a lot of things. There, it's almost sometimes like there's a secret 
uh, club of guitar players, and that always drove me nuts too. That it, jazz is in particular, because all of a sudden you've got songs in the key of F or the key of B flat or the key of E flat, and we as guitar players, we don't want to play in those keys. They're not they're not comfortable on the guitar. Yeah. But all of a sudden you put that B flat blues in the key of G, and you go, oh my gosh, this song is just G C and D, not B flat E flat and F. Um, so yeah, I, I was always not not oversimplifying an idea because obviously you get to a certain point where ideas are complex. Mm-hmm. But if you can break things down into their essence, you can find things that are a lot easier than they might appear on at, on the surface level. Right. For sure. So quick before I get it's Troy Stettina. It is Troy Stettina. I was I w- I pulled out a copy of my first edition of the book, the very first pressing we did. There were a lot of typos in there, and <laughs> that was one of the really embarrassing typos. Is I got Troy's name mixed up a little bit, and we fixed that in consequent in, uh, subsequent pressings. But I just want to point out Troy Stettina is who's the author of okay. his books. <laughs> Um, you know, I think it's so important that you did that right out of the box in the book that you mentioned the Beatles. Um, you know, uh, it was interesting because I went and I pulled out my copy, which I've had for years that I haven't looked at for years. And I mean, I think I have that book since the seventies and oh wait, are you talking about the, the big flesh colored one? The big white one. Big, it's, no, like, it's like a telephone no. book. Oh, the, the, the Beatles scores. Yeah. Yes, right, because there's two. I have two Beatles books in my book. I have the complete chord song book and mm-hmm. the scores. Right, yes. right. All right, so yeah, go ahead. So, what you know, it made me remember that, wow, to really understand song structure, to really to really master chords and master chords in a, in a manner, I mean, you can sit there with a chord book and just play these chords, but, but there's no... Um, intention with the chords. Yeah, no context. Exactly. Yeah. So when you're when you're using using it in the context of the Beatles, you know the melody to boot is just it just is more enriching as far as the learning process is concerned. Yeah, and I'm, you know for me the Beatles is is the the point of reference that almost all of us know. And I know there's some cynics out there who go, oh the Beatles, the Beatles, and they think the ubiquitousness of the Beatles actually sort of diminishes what they do, mm-hmm. but which is t- entirely untrue. But um, yeah, for instance, like it, you take a chord like a G minor nine. If you've got a guitar book and you're playing a G minor chord, and you're like, well, what else can I do? Oh, G minor seven. Oh, here's a G minor nine. But you're just like you say. You're just looking at it like, well, what is? I don't know how yeah. to use a G minor nine. Right. Well, Where do I use it? <laughs> exactly. You open up the Beatles book, and all of a sudden, there's a chord progression that goes C, A minor, G minor seven, G minor nine. Like that's how you play Julia. It has a G minor nine chord in it. <laughs> exactly. And then the other thing is, if you if you look up a G minor nine chord, you might go, well, wait a second, that's not the G minor nine chord that's in this song. Mm-hmm. For that song, that's another thing that so many, I don't want to say beginners, even early intermediate players, they, they don't realize that there's almost an endless amount of variations on the voicings you can have for chords. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that can be really discouraging when you pick up a guitar book of chords and you're like, why are there 10 versions of G minor 9? I don't even know how to use one. <laughs> And that Beatles book just immediately here it is. Yeah, here's how you use it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, and then and then you go to the opposite end of the spectrum with Zappa. Yes, yes, that Zappa book, which I say is 
almost impossible to play. <laughs> oh, that book! That book was sort of heartbreaking because that's a that's a relatively new book that only came out I want to say in the last two years. And um, you open it up, and the first song on that record is is Inca Roads, and it's got the <laughs> it's got the marimba part. Yeah transcribed <laughs> and it's so fast and and it, forget about it being fast it's hard to play if you played it slowly yeah for sure um but also how gratifying is that to look at a, a, a work of art and say i understand that and it's something for me to work towards but you might spend the rest of your life um trying to do something I, you know i'm like i don't want to i don't want to um uh, uh, associate something that's difficult with something that's good because I know there's lots of difficult music out there that I don't really want to listen to yeah. but that was a book that, that's an album that I love listening to and then when you sit down to play something like Evelyn a modified dog and you're like oh my gosh this is this is a, this is every bit as hard as you know what actually I I would dare say it's the opposite this is interesting a lot of Frank Zappa stuff doesn't sound that hard and then you sit down to play right. and you're like this is even hard this right. is so challenging right. or if it sounds hard you go oh that sounds hard you sit down to play and you go this is even harder than it sounds right well, and I, the beatles managed to do stuff where you go oh that's just pop music and then you sit down and go where well, did that come exactly from? what the hell do i do here exactly yeah, oh so, absolutely well i mean the same thing like i listen to black napkins and i'm like well that sounds relatively easy and then i'd sit down and try to play it and i was like oh no no, no, it's not. Yeah, yeah. Frank's Frank's phrasing and his tone. I don't know if you've seen that. I think it's Mike Douglas. Yes. on the Mike Douglas show, yes. and he's playing through his pig nose. Yes. But he is playing through that incredibly heavily modified SG, which has a preamp in it. Yeah. So he's getting that that great classic uh, Zappa tone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really hard to emulate what Frank does. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and then everybody, I mean, I love, I love it. It's, it really is such a conglomerate of things that are going on with this book. I mean, we've got Metallica, Eric Johnson, Warren Haynes for the slide stuff, who is, who really, I mean, you know, it's funny, he plays alongside Derek Trucks a lot and he doesn't really get known for his slide, but his, I find his slide to be sometimes, many times a lot more attractive, uh, in tonal quality. Um, he, go on. Yeah. His tone is it, Everything about his slide playing is phenomenal. The fact that he's doing it all in, in standard tuning. Yeah. So that's what's really cool about yeah. his book is most of the books you got to go into open G or open D. Right. And you, you might spend twenty if you're not if you're new to that you might spend twenty minutes trying to get in the tuning before you even play a note. So yeah, for sure, Warren gets right to the the meat. Yeah. And then, you know, and then there's Satriani, of course, and you mentioned Howard Roberts and the great Django, who still just stupefies me. You know, um, but one guy in particular that I wanted to talk talk about, which was somebody that I I learned about as as a young guy, reading Guitar Player magazine and reading his column in the back uh, called Studio Log, which was Tommy Tedesco. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I I I'm I just found out that the uh, they finally paid for all the song rights for the Wrecking Crew film. And, That's great. And the, I hadn't heard that yet. Yeah, and the film, you know, now they're just looking for a distributor. And they've got somebody that may be doing it, and we're finally going to get to see this film, which is, I think, I honestly, I, I haven't seen it yet, but I have a feeling it's going to be a very important film um, to understand music of that time period, especially oh, yeah, popular music. Sure. 
And, you know, he, I loved him because he was one of those guys, you know, he, it was in his, you remember his column, right? And, oh God. Yeah. 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 It was, you know, it was studio log and it was, uh, what the gig was, you know, I dream of Jeannie, how many hours he worked, what he got paid and what guitars he used. And then he would throw up some of the sheet music. Yep. And um, so mentioning him in there, I thought was, was first off, very classy. And second of all, important because there are a lot of guitarists that have no idea who Tommy Tedesco and the Wrecking Crew are. Even though they hear him every single day. Every day. Pet sounds. Hello. Yeah. Well, you know my... One of my favorites ones, you know that scene in uh, in the second Raiders of the Lost Ark movie, the uh, the Temple of Doom, yeah, and they're eating the snakes and the eyeballs, yeah. That's Tommy playing mandolin. No kidding. On that, Tommy plays the guitar on "It's a Small World After All." If you go to Disney World, wow. I he so I went to Musicians Institute in 1991, um, and Tommy would come every couple months and do a clinic and. It was mind-boggling mm. what he had played on, and he would just mention something. You're like, "Oh my God, I've listened to that rec- the Three's Company theme, that wah wah guitar." Oh no, really? <laughs> playing that wah wah guitar. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Oh, it's it is endless. Yeah, the Archies. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So much stuff. Yeah. Can I tell you my real quick story that I wasn't able to get into the book about Tommy? Please. I mean, this is his anecdote. He tells this fabulous story about actually substituting for Howard Roberts. And I want to say it was a Doris Day gig. So Howard was playing guitar for Doris Day or someone like Doris Day. And he couldn't play the gig. And this was early in the 19, I don't know, 50s, early, late 50s. Tommy substitutes for uh, Howard Roberts. Now, Howard shows him, he's like, you you don't play tunes like this. And Howard plays a song that's got a chord on every beat, right? Lots of notes. And uh, Tommy says, well, I can't do that. Howard assures him he'll just do fine. Tommy shows up to the gig, gets the chart, and he just plays four to the bar. You know, one chord. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> really boring. He's very embarrassed. He hangs his head. He leaves the show. Thinks, I'm never going to get another gig. I didn't do what Howard does. And apparently the, the, the singer, let's say it's Doris Day, came over to Tommy and said, oh, Tommy. You're so much better than Howard. <laughs> he plays so many notes. <laughs> That's fantastic. Like a real lesson in yeah. what you're supposed to do on the job. In, in economy. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I I, uh, I was fascinated by him. You know, him, that, that little picture, that little stamp-like picture on the, on the, uh, on the uh, column of him in his little Greek sure. fisherman's hat. Yep. You know, and um, more than, you know, more than some of the other guys in that in that during that time who were covering articles in that magazine, I found him to be the most fascinating because because I said, wow, here's a guy who's making a living doing this. Yeah, for sure. And and, and a good living. Right. Yeah. 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 Not I mean, eking it out. Yeah. Buffalo, New York. He's originally from. Yep. Yeah. So it's just. It's, it's, it was, uh, he was always, I found him very refreshing. So, uh, I see that Ben Wyman from the Dillinger Escape Plan, he loves this book. Yes. He said it's uh, excellent for finding new inspiration after many years of playing. And you know, and I have to agree with him because when I, when I sat with it and I started, I was, and first of all, it reminded me, say, hey, you know what? Go pull out that Beatles book, you dope. What's the matter with you? Uh-huh. You know? 
And then beyond that, uh, some of the other stuff. Like, oh, here's something that I just absolutely flipped over. Um, And, you know, for some reason, I've never been able to really get a handle on it. But after working with the book, I was able to really get a better grasp, which was the Texas Swing stuff. Oh, excellent. So tell us. That's great, yeah. Talk about that. Well, okay, again, there, there was a couple, there's a couple things in my book that I really wish there was more of. And Texas Swing is absolutely one of them. There are not a lot of Texas Swing books out there. I, I, I should say, you know, there's a there's a handful. There's a, a half dozen probably um, of mixed quality. But, yeah, for me, again, I found Bob Wills when I was about 18, 19 years old. Yeah. And, uh, and the Bob Wills records can be really spotty, so you have to buy a lot of Bob Wills records. And it happened that I found the, this great one right off the bat. It was a, it's called Tiffany Transcription. It's Basin Street Blues. So it's almost all jazz standards. And you'd listen to this, and you would hear a, 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 a guitar chord on every beat. And you'd think, how can they do this? What, how does this work? And it's all about the inversions. And usually when people talk about chord inversions, they're talking about jazz or complicated major sevenths and minor sevenths with the sevens on the bass. And what's so great about the Texas swing is that it's usually using just triads, a G chord, a C chord, but a G chord with the B in the bass and not the normal one that we almost all play in folky music where you just play a G chord but take your low finger off your finger off the low string. Mm-hmm. But, but a more uh, uh, fancy or challenging uh, fingering to make and uh boy i just fell in love with that sound where it, it you might only be playing a g chord for four beats but you're playing a different inversion of the g chord on every single beat because mm-hmm. that real movement and drive to that that type of music yeah and uh i've always loved that and admired it and uh and wanted to bring that to a new audience i mean i i, I certainly had an agenda to a certain degree uh, I knew I didn't need to write very much about rock and roll guitar playing in my book because, as I even state in the introduction, you don't learn rock and roll, it's kind of folk music. Listen to the record, learn some songs, yeah. play rock and roll. Yeah. But if you want to learn jazz or Texas swing, you, you yes, you should still use your ear for those things. But to take it to the next level, it's nice to have something in print. For me, anyway, it's nice to see something written down, see how it works in the context of other chord progressions. Right. So trying to uh, um, bring bring the spotlight to Texas swing and African guitar or world guitar and places, where, again, where things are sort of lacking in that education department. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you entirely. I mean, you know, with, with, with rock and roll and with blues even, to a certain extent, you know, you can hear it, sit with it, and be able to grasp it and play it. But some of the other stuff, because of those inversions and because of, of some of the uh, the way it was delivered, it, it's a lot harder. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it, it comes back to sort of the old cliche of blues and rock and roll are much more visceral and emotional type of music. It's not what you play, it's how you play it. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily always the case in in, mm-hmm. in idioms such as jazz or mm-hmm. uh, uh, or even bluegrass. You know, that's those are sort of idioms. If you're not in them, you really they sound so completely foreign if they're not your thing. And you get into them, you some, somebody show you a little bit of oh, that's just this G chord like that, or and that's just a mixture of the pentatonic and the the major pentatonic and the minor pentatonic and the blues scale. I mean, 
that makes it sound that does make it sound complicated and talk especially if you're talking about bluegrass music yeah uh but it is very true that if you can again break it down to its essence it's you you can start to understand what's happening in those styles more mm-hmm. absolutely yeah you know, and you know, one of my favorite blues guitar. Uh, sorry, one of my favorite jazz guitarists, um, who I don't know if he has a book. You'd probably know if he would. Is Pat Metheny, and and you know, you you can't really sit down and play Pat Metheny. <laughs> you, you're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> um, so Metheny has a couple books. He has one. I want to say it's called Etudes. Uh, I'll look it up right now. Um, which I, I have, and I just thought, you know, this is him. Yeah, it's called Pat Metheny Guitar Etudes. Mm-hmm. This is him warming up, and he's transcribed the warm-up. Right. And if you like Pat Metheny, it gives you some insight into him. But for, it didn't speak to me personally as a guitar teacher as a way to show students what to do. Sure. What I would recommend with Pat Metheny is get – his transcription book of Bright Size Life because there's a that's been fully transcribed. Oh wow! Um, there's no theory in it. There's nothing. He doesn't doesn't explain why he plays certain notes over certain chords. Mm-hmm. But this comes down to for me. Well, if you start to emulate his style, you can get an idea of what's happening um, in Pat Metheny's work. The other thing I would say is that's only one very small side of Pat Metheny, right? The thing I admire about Pat is that he really does a lot of different things. He's got a lot of great avant-garde work. Yeah. Great world music. Yeah. So Bright Size Life, his first record, he's quite young. But to me, in many, many ways, that first record is still definitive Pat Metheny. In many ways, yeah. But that was also still him holding on to, you know, uh, Wes Montgomery and Charlie Christian, too. Sure, absolutely. Well, and I think that's beneficial too, right? That's, oh, absolutely. That's interesting. So that, and then on the flip side of that, there's a uh, transcription book of One Quiet Night, which is him playing his baritone. Right. And again, you can sit down and try and play along with that. It's almost impossible if you don't have a baritone because it yeah. won't sound the same. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, he's he's but, excellent with chord melodies too. Yes, yeah. So those are the those are the three Pat Metheny books I know of, mm-hmm. uh, and the one, the Etudes, is the only one that that is actually in the guise of an instruction book. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you, I love how passionate you are about the book and about these other books and about guitar. It's just it's very refreshing. Yeah. Well, that's the sort of I, it's it's the only thing I've ever wanted to do since I was basically about fourteen, fifteen years old. Mm-hmm. I knew. The, the guitar was going to be the thing, and and I I think like most guitar players, I I wanted to be a rock star. I want to be Angus Young. I still wanted to be that. I still want to, and I still strive to do that. I have a whole career playing live. It's, it's not just the education side, but uh, I was always interested in the education side. When I went to Musicians Institute, I looked through every single guitar magazine in the library. In fact, in my basement, I have. Almost every guitar magazine ever published. Not not all of them, but I'm pretty, getting pretty close. <laughs> um, and I still reference them. And uh, it had occurred to me that that's that was as important to me growing up as mm-hmm. wanting to be a rock star. Yeah. Was reading about the guitar and how it worked and yeah. how uh, it can influence influence every part of your life and other people's lives. And so to hit my stride with the 50 greatest guitar books and say, Hey, I can really give back. 
um, to the to the 15 year old that was me that's out there now, mm-hmm. uh, or or the 40 year old because that's another thing. You know, I know a lot of 40 year olds and baby boomers, 60 uh, year old guys who've been playing for 20 years, but you know, stagnated at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Well, and, that's for sure. That's Guitar Center's uh, demographic. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I'd like to think my book helps push those people. Like, oh, I never thought about that. I'll give you a great example. The editor of my book, David Schiff, um, was, he was just great because he's a guitar player, but he's also a professional editor. He did editing for Consumer Reports magazine and a multitude of other uh, publications. And when he got to the Metallica section, he said, boy, this is really great. I never would have listened to Metallica. This is not my thing. He's, a, he's, a, he's into the blues. He plays a lot of fingerstyle blues. Just would never listen to Metallica, but your record, your write-up of that Metallica, if didn't convince me that I wanted to listen to Metallica, certainly gave me an appreciation of their talent mm-hmm. as as musicians. And he found the write-up of one, the song one, intriguing. And when he listened to, it, he's like, you know what, you're right. That really does have a sort of Carlos Santana esque sound mm-hmm. to it his opening solo it's much more beautiful than i would have ever expected from a band named metallica yeah and uh that was really gratifying to feel like you can teach an old dog new tricks <laughs> absolutely absolutely so what's next for you in the book uh what's next for me in the book well the it's a good question i when i when i finished this book I had I had quite a, w- a while to wait for the public for the printer to come back because we were doing the design of the book and the layout and that took quite a while. So I I I was sort of in love with writing books. So I wrote, I sat down and wrote my own instructional book about me. And really, the book is if you want to learn how to play weird guitar stuff because <laughs> that's that's sort of even though I like to play everything, mm-hmm. it all it ultimately comes down to me wanting to play like a cross between. Uh, Leo Kotke and Stravinsky, or Frank Zappa and Django Reinhardt, or uh, uh, Mark Rebo and Nels Klein play Al Di Miola. I, think mm-hmm. I, I always wanted, I always liked weird guitar players. <laughs> so I wrote this book um, that the title right now is called The Pedagogical Guitar. Uh, uh, is that what it's called? Yeah, The Pedagogical Guitar, based off of a Paul Clay book. Um, and uh, and I really didn't do anything with it. I wrote it really quickly, and I gave a couple copies to friends. Mm-hmm. And it's just been in the past month where I sat down and thought, I need to sit down and I'll record the lessons for that book, um, and then I'm going to publish this book. So I suspect it's going to be a, a niche audience because there's there's not as many weird guitar players as I found. Uh, I've, I also have a website called weirdguitarlessons.com, which gets a fair amount of traffic, but most people want to play the rock and roll, blues, and folk music, and I'm totally fine with that, and I understand it. But I know there's a niche audience out there for weird guitar stuff, sure. uh, so I'm trying to I'm trying to put together this book to reach that audience. That's cool. I like that. That's a great idea. Well, I'm a huge like Adrian Ballou fan. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, went to a lot of his. Uh, he did a bunch of clinics when I was still living in New York back in the early 80s and those those were really a lot of fun to see him do those yeah in fact i'm he's got that great video you can watch it on youtube of um i forget what it's called but it's adrian blues guitar video where he goes through all his effects 
Uh And I'm actually doing some um, effects clinics for for, uh, Earthquaker devices uh, coming in September. I've got a lot of clinics lined up. And uh, it's very much a combination of Adrian Blue's, like, here's the sound you can make of a seagull. Yeah. Not that many people really want to do that. Some people might find it novel. But you know what? Throwing a seagull into one song, that's a really cool thing to be able to do. So in my clinics, I'm, I'm trying to find a balance of, hey, here's this pedal that makes you sound like it can help you get the tone of Stevie Ray Vaughan. And here's one that makes the sound of a seagull. <laughs> so trying to strike that balance. Like, I guess that's sort of the next thing for me, too, is is trying to trying – to, uh, combine these two worlds of the avant-garde and the yeah. mainstream because I've always been a fan of both and usually people are one or the other mm-hmm. um, and just like you say with the guitar it's nice to be a fan of all styles it's one thing when people say hey I love the blues and I love rock and roll and I love country but they rarely say and I love avant-garde noise yeah and I and again I understand that it's not for everybody yeah. uh, but I certainly think there's an appreciation that could be developed. No, definitely. I think you and I are cut from the same chip when it comes to that because I, I, I have always been attracted to, you know, can you, can you, what else can you do with this thing? You know, Jeff Beck said, he goes, you know, I want to make the guitar sound more than just a guitar. He wants to, he, why should it always just sound like a guitar? Yeah, exactly. And trust me, that's just someone who for years I was in a in a weird progressive rock band and I plugged my Telecaster straight into my Marshall amp. I really I, that band was very much about playing progressive complicated music, but I wanted to sound like Angus Young. I didn't want it to be all effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've spent the last 10 years of my life playing my Taylor acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. It's totally straight. And then it's been just in the past few months that i've kind of gone crazy with the pedals so i'm i'm certainly not a purist but i've i've spent most of my career playing the guitar as sounds like a guitar mm-hmm. even though i've admired people who do the opposite right. so it's, it, it is really fun to make your guitar sound like a synthesizer or a or a seagull or um an elephant or an elephant or a rhino <laughs> Yeah, or that idea just of, you know, one of the things that's fascinating to me is how a reverb on an amp or a a really great reverb pedal can make you play completely differently. absolutely. It's it's one of the simplest things, but there's a real art to it to dial in a a reverb that's just right, that provides an ambiance that Mm -hmm. you, you would never get with your guitar plugged in. Um, clean and dry. Sure, look at Link Ray's Rumble. Absolutely. You know, I mean, what he did it. You know, start. You know, I mean, the whole thing has it on there. But at the end, when he when he turns it up and it creates this wash of of vibrato. And, yeah. And it's and it's just no one had ever done that. It was like, well, that's just. Some would probably think think to themselves, well, that's an offensive tone. Absolutely, exactly. You're right. But yeah. it, but it worked so perfectly. Or just you know, take the take the 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 spring reverb sound that we hear the clang at the beginning of Highway Star, right? Right. Like just that. Like who who would think that would be such the an iconic sound? The sound of your spring reverb going clang. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Absolutely. 
Well, yeah, and even, and even Eddie Van Halen making his guitar sound like a horse whinnying. Yeah. With the vibrato, yeah. you know, with the, with the whammy bar. So, but yeah, excellent. Hey, so where can people get in touch with you if they want to? They want to uh, find out more about you and more about the book. So the easiest place actually to go is PresterJohnMusic.com, which uh, Prester John is one of the stage names I play underneath or play under, and uh, I have a duo called Prester John. And Prester John Music is sort of my musical umbrella. So there you'll find about the 50 greatest guitar books which is also greatestguitarbooks.com. Mm-hmm. You'll find out about weirdguitarlessons.com. You'll find out about the different groups that I play in and send you links to my clinics, my live performances, uh, books, videos, you name it. So it's prestorjohnmusic.com. Fantastic. Fantastic. And, and they can get you on Facebook too? They can find it. Uh, they'll, they'll find Prester John on Facebook and you'll find the 50 greatest guitar books on on uh, Facebook. And that's probably the Facebook that I keep up the most with. You know mm-hmm. how that is. I, I post something almost every day. I share something. I, I There's experts, excerpt, uh, excerpts from the book. Um, there's videos. You name it. I try to do a little bit of everything up there on Facebook. So there's lots of uh, cool content to keep coming back and visit. Well, that's cool. Well, thanks for writing this book because it's. <laughs> I tell you, the more time I spend with it, the more little... Um, tidbits I'm getting and I'm being able to put it into my my uh, my lick library for, for bat, lack of a better term oh no that's great I really appreciate it Mark I'm really thrilled that you had me on the show and that the, you're finding the book to be so enjoyable yeah it really is folks check it out it's the 50 greatest guitar books by Sean Persinger you can go to greatestguitarbooks.com and what was the other one Presser John. Presser John Music dot com. All right, folks, we're going to have links up on the Facebook page and, of course, at GuitarRadioShow.com, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere, all over the place. So you'll be, you'll be, bla- we'll be blasting this out as we are preparing to uh, air this episode and in the time period that we are airing this episode. Thanks so much. Hey, don't hang up. I want you to do an ID for the show, but thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. Thanks. Well, there you go. Thank you, Sean, for being on the show. And uh, that was really great. You check out that book, yo. It's great. It's a great book. Um, We're going to play a couple other tunes. I want to turn you on to this band now from Chicago. Um, The guitarist's name is Danny Rabin. Um, I think you're going to be impressed. This is a track called... Uh, Vanthrax. Is that the one that we got, Earl? Is that the one? Yeah, Vanthrax. And, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you what the title means. Some of you already may know. But I'm not going to tell you what the the title means because we cover it in the interview, and it's pretty funny, actually. Um, But this is from an album called The Third Set. And this was... um, The band was out touring, and they were recording all of their live sets and they went ahead and they 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 realized that a lot of the stuff from the the third set of the night when they were kind of tanked up a little bit and they had a lot of a lot more uh fuel so to speak that uh some of those some of those those takes were some of the best takes so um i guess you could ask miles davis that too right but uh (laughs) 
This is uh, the album is comprised of all of the music from all the different live shows that happened during the third set. I think that's really cool, great concept, and uh, interesting how that all turned out. So this is the band Marbin. You can check them out on Facebook, Marbin Music, and uh, the song Vanthrax from the album The Third Set on Guitar Radio Show, guitarradioshow.com.
Yeah, it's uh, Danny Rabin and the band Marbin. And on the sax, you've got the other Danny, Danny Markovich Slore. Wild. Killer stuff. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, you ready to start timing your high? <laughs> Man, I love this band. Last time I said they were from uh, they were from the Pacific Northwest. They're not. They're from um, uh, Vancouver, Canada. So my bad. Sorry about that, Louie. This is uh, Louie Inoy and the band Light Bulb Vaporizer, and the track is called "Timing My High." Yeah, baby. On Guitar Radio Show, GuitarRadioShow.com. Thank you. 
Light bulb vaporizer and the track Timing My High. Killer stuff. I love it. Um, that's all, all uh, stream of consciousness stuff. That's all stream of consciousness. So we got to get out of here, man. Uh, but check us out next time on Guitar Radio Show. I got to tell you, we've got so much crazy stuff coming up. Let's run you off on a list here. <clears throat> Obviously, don't forget about Adam P. Hunt's um, every Wednesday. Uh, uh, every Wednesday, uh, Adam does a blog, 500 Words with Adam P. Hunt, and it's always something really cool. We've got some video blogs coming real soon, some pretty interesting stuff. Uh, but guests, oh, my God, are you ready? Marvin, who you heard earlier. Nick Johnston, who you heard earlier. Too Slim, Too Slim, you get well. And don't forget about... Uh, Folks, don't forget about that whole thing that's going on with him. Go to giveforward.inc and give to Too Slim. Tim, Too Slim Langford's Cancer Fund. Help this cat out. Um, so I said, Marvin, we've got MJT Guitars. We've got Rock and Roll Rebel Guitars. We've got Dog Tire Guitars, which is coming up really soon. And wait till you hear this story, Roger Cowan's story. It is amazing. We've got uh, Screaming Effects coming up with a big uh, giveaway we've got paul nelson who was a producer and um guitar player side player and uh manager road manager for uh for johnny winter as well as playing with hundreds i and i and i kid you not hundreds of other amazing players it's going to blow your mind what a great interview that was nick johnson i had already mentioned greg martin from the kentucky headhunters and the greg martin group Oh my God, what an amazing conversation that was. It was great. Los Protones are coming up. Lightbulb Vaporizer are coming up. Zacchaeus Guitars are coming up. I mean, I don't know if I can jam it all in. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And there's other stuff that uh, is pending that I don't want to talk to you, tell you about yet until I've actually got it recorded and in the can. But some really cool stuff. Lots of gear giveaways, too, coming up. Um... We're going to be doing more CD giveaways uh, and download giveaways in the upcoming weeks and months ahead. I've got a closet full of stuff, folks, and I can't keep it. Not allowed. <laughs> in the meantime, y'all be good to each other. Take care of each other and uh, keep playing. And we'll see you next time on Guitar Radio Show. Peace. Say fuck you, Ed. <laughs> I like this crowd already. Genius Productions.